Well, let's pick up uh, where we left off at the wards. Last week at the wards, it was so nice. The, the, the weather was beautiful. It's just a great day. We had 71 people there. Yep, we counted them because we had stickers. There were two red stickers, 18 yellow stickers, and 51 green stickers. So uh, you can see that our little system worked, but uh, it was fun. It was, be, it was good to be able to see people, to hug people, just to be in their presence and to connect with them. So uh, if you were with us, it was good to see you. If you weren't with us, hopefully we'll do it again soon. I think that you saw my Facebook post uh, today, this weekend, the entertainment centers in the state of Indiana were able to open up at 50% capacity, which that's what Pinheads is. That's where we meet on Sunday mornings typically. And so it was a possibility that we could have been in there today, but only at 50% and doing that whole thing was just kind of a headache. And so uh, on July the 4th, the whole state of Indiana will open up. And that's probably not the best weekend to make our first weekend back to Pinhead. So I'm looking at actually July the 12th. I haven't talked or confirmed anything with Pinheads, but that's what we're thinking. And it would be so good to be back in there. Look, I, I feel good that they want us back in there. I've talked to Kevin, who's the, the manager there and uh, he has reassured us that we have a home there at Pinheads, which is good because being at Pinheads allows us to be a light in the community and at little to no expense. So we're thankful for Pinheads. So we left off in First Thessalonians. We made it actually through chapter one. Paul had spent the time there talking, uh, introducing himself with Silas and Timothy, that Timothy had given him a report. And then he spent those 10 verses basically saying, thank you to the church at Thessalonica for what they have done, the testimony that they are, and the blessing that they have been to him and his team. So now we get into chapter two and look, Paul didn't write letters by chapters. This is just how the theologians have divided the book up, the letter up, and this is where we are today. We'll try to get through the first 12 verses. And in these first 12 verses of chapter two, he's literally spends the time defending his past character. During his time in Thessalonica, it was, he was said he was there for three Sabbaths plus, because we know he was there quite a bit longer than that, than just three Sabbaths, which have been three weeks. He was there for an extended stay, and he developed some great relationships with those people, as you saw in his thanksgiving to them last week. But verse 1 says this, For you yourselves know, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. He's emphasizing to the readers there the fact that they can testify to his character. He says, you yourselves know what we taught you. That's very, it's very emphatic in the Greek text there. He's literally saying, you guys, I'm combating critics who keep telling me that we're doing something wrong, we're saying the wrong things, and you know what I told you, and now I need you as defense witnesses. 
he's reminding them of what he's done. And then he's also looking for confirmation. It's kind of like saying, yes, right? Yes, this happened, right? In verse two, he says, on the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. (laughs) He referred back to what happened in Philippi. And as you well know, they preach the gospel message. What is the gospel message? That Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah that was promised to the Jews who came as a sacrificial offering for their sins, past, present, and future. He was buried, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven. But when he was resurrected, when he was resurrected, there were over 500 people that saw him resurrected. Then he ascended. And then the spirit came to live in those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the gospel message. This is what Paul was teaching. And they were beaten in Philippi and run out of town. But then Naturally, if that was me or somebody else, I'm like, okay, I've had enough of this. I probably would have returned home, but Paul didn't. It literally said, he's literally said, God gave them the boldness, Paul, Silas, Timothy, including Luke, and the courage to come to Thessalonica and teach the same exact message, the same one they got beaten for and run out of town. They're going to deliver that same message. Tell me today that pastors aren't told what to preach and talk about on Sunday mornings. Paul said he came to speak the good news instead of what everyone else was instructing him to do. The Jews didn't want him talking about Jesus because they didn't think he was the Messiah. The Gentiles didn't want him talking about Jesus because they believed in pagan gods. And the more people that he saw converted because of what he was teaching, the less people they had in their crowds. So they absolutely rejected what Paul was teaching. Verse three, it says, for our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. You see, even in Paul's days, there were people who preached a message with the intent of making money. Paul's like, I'm not in this for the money. I'm doing this because this is what God's called me to do. Verse four, he says this. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our heart. You see, A person obligated to speak for one who can judge the heart, that being God, would be foolish to change the message in order to please the hearers. If he's getting the message from the person who ultimately judges, why would you change the message? It would kind of breach the act of trust. Thus, it's impossible in the mind of the apostle of the apostle to be a person pleaser and a God pleaser at the same time. You're not going to do it. 
I'm here to please God. And then he talks about being, having something that's not his. That's kind of what we referred to as the word steward. You know the word steward. Steward is somebody who's responsible for something. But here's, get this. A steward owns nothing. But possesses and uses everything that belongs to his master. That's what a steward is. So we hear all the time as believers, are you a good steward? Are you a good steward with your resources? Well, they're not my resources. They're my master's resources. Are you a good steward with your time? Well, it's not my time. It's the Lord's time. (laughs) Are you a good steward with your physical body? It's not my physical body. It's the Lord's physical body. It's the tent that his spirit dwells in. So Paul's saying, we want to be good stewards of the gospel message. It's not my message. It's his message. He's just allowed me to be in charge of it here on earth. Then verse 5. says, For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. Here's the interesting thing. Paul just strolled into town, and he began talking about God. He began talking about Jesus. He began talking about forgiveness. He talked about all these things, but he never, ever tried to manipulate emotions to share the gospel. There were no fancy presentations. He he didn't even really have a building. He went to the tabernacle at first, but then he usually ended up in the marketplace in the community. There was no salesmanship occurring here. He literally was teaching the gospel for what it was and waited to see what God would do. Now, uh, material support, we know that Paul was a tent maker. But material support in return for spiritual or philosophical instruction was a pretty common thing in both the church and in the Hellenistic world in general. People often paid the teachers and supported the teachers. And it wasn't considered improper. But in this context that Paul's talking about, he's indicating more than just a simple financial support. He's literally referring to the use somebody using their weight of authority to put a demand on financial support. He never demanded financial support. In fact, Timothy brought support from the church at Philippi and Thessalonica to Paul in Corinth. Paul never asked for that. They just brought it to him. They wanted to encourage him. They wanted him to continue teaching the word. Verse 6, it says, And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Paul's sitting here, and he is listing all these problems and these defenses. And if that's the case, you have to ask the question, what is the problem Paul's trying to address here? Well, the answer is this. It's trying, he's trying to react 
and to correct the criticisms about his character from his opponents. Well, who are his opponents? The opponents are the Jews, the opponents are the Gentiles, the opponents are the ones that want to beat him, the ones that want to run him out of town. He was teaching and people were converting from Judaism and pagan gods. He, you can kind of relate what Paul has written here in these first six verses as this. You probably have had the experience where someone you know is in the room, maybe a spouse or something, and they they get a phone call and you hear one half of the conversation. But even though you don't hear the other half, it's not difficult usually to reconstruct what the other person is saying. Well, something similar like that is true for us when we read Paul's letters right here. You can understand why Paul is saying the things that he's saying because there's obviously critics that are trying to ruin his ministry. We're hearing one half of the conversation, Paul's half. But from what Paul says, we can pretty easily and pretty confidently reconstruct what the other half is what other people are saying to which Paul is now responding. And then we get into the next verses here. It's in our, our passage, Paul gives the Christians in Thessalonica three pictures, three illustrations. He gives a picture of an infant, a picture of a mother, and a picture of a father. And Paul gives them these three pictures in order to help the Thessalonians think about Paul in the right way. I think most pastors read these passages of scripture and they apply it to themselves. Paul is concerned here about this issue because he knows the intimate connection between the messenger and the message. There's this, there's this intimate link between the messenger and the message. In other words, <clears throat> If there are any questions about the character of the messenger, that automatically can raise in a person's mind questions about the character, the integrity, and even the message. Trust. That's what we continually try to tell you to do is to trust the Lord. Trust. It, well, let's just say it. If you don't trust the pastor, you probably need to find a new one. Because the whole time the pastor is teaching you to trust the father. But if you can't trust the pastor to tell you to trust the father, how can we teach you? This is literally what Paul's saying. Is integrity important? Absolutely it is because it's what connects the messenger with the messages. <laughs> That's one of my buttons. If you've ever been around me, the whole integrity thing, uh, some people say that it's a pride issue, that that's just your pride messing with you. Well, let me be the first to say, I'm not perfect in my behavior. <laughs> I, I'm far from perfect in my behavior. Sometimes. I make bad choices. Sometimes I make choices for my own benefit. I get it. I get it. But it, when it comes to my integrity, you might just have pushed one of my buttons. 
I want to be able to live my life, even though I still do acts of the flesh, so that it will publicly prove my integrity. I'm not interested in putting on a show. I am interested in people connecting with me and trusting me. It is through the connection and the trust that they will listen to the message of Jesus Christ. If I can't connect with people and build their trust, then I'm nothing but a clanging gong or symbol, as the scripture says. I don't necessarily see integrity as a pride issue, but a necessity for the gospel to be heard by the community. It's important to connect with people so they can hear and trust what you say. But of course, you'll always hear me say, don't believe what word I say, because I believe that you have a Holy Spirit inside of you, just like I do, that can teach you and direct you and guide you all the days of your life. I hope you trust me when you hear me say that. Verse 7 says this, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead, we were gentle among you. Now you get into uh, translation differences here. Some of your translations will say infant instead of gentle. There's two little Greek words that change that, and because of the, the the transcripts that we have, there's been a controversy whether it's gentle or infant. Instead, we were an infant among you. I prefer the infant, that we were an infant among you, that the idea of innocence comes from an ancient author during Paul's day. So when he said this, he was actually referring to, to Philo, the important Jewish writer said this, it's impossible for the greatest liar to invent a charge against infants. Same word that Paul uses as though they were wholly innocent. Paul saying, I'm like an, in, an infant. I'm really innocent. So this quote from Philo is important to show that in the ancient world, the word that Paul uses, which is nepoias, or infant, or baby, was associated with the idea of innocence. I don't think Paul was implying that he was without sin. He's implying that as he shares the gospel, he shares it with innocence. Like, there's nothing wrong here. And he says this, he continues on in that verse, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle infants among you. As a nurse nurtures her own children, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preach God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. Now let me back up here to verse 7 again. It says, it says as a nurse 
if you take the actual Greek word there, it is either translated as a mother or a wet nurse. Can I say that today? I don't even know in today's world if wet nurse is a politically correct term, but in those days, if a mother could not nurse their child, they had nurses that would actually breastfeed their kids for them. And this is literally what Paul, he's referred to himself as an infant. And now he's referring to himself as a wet nurse. That seems kind of strange. But think about it for a second. It's a great illustration. Paul, he's referring to himself as a nursing mom. One that connects intimately with their children no matter what they do or have done, he connects with them. Mothers have a tendency to look at the child in the eye while they're nursing. And there's this connection that they have with their child that a father can never have. And then he talks about, we were with you day and night. We stayed with you. The sacrifice of a nursing mother is that she's available both day and night. We were there, so you guys didn't get put out. Moms get up in the middle of the night. Dads typically sleep. It's a perfect illustration. The nursing mother eats food and transforms it into milk for the baby. Paul's literally spiritually growing during this time. And he's feeding these children the truth. The mature Christian feeds the word of God, feeds on the word of God, and then he shares it and nourishes those that are younger and around them. The metaphor that Paul uses about his ministry is to help them understand how deeply he loves them. Like a mother loves their child even if it's not their own child, there's a connection. So, although effective ministry demands a pastor, a church leader to act professional, ministry must never become a profession. Paul's literally saying, I loved you. I cared for you. I provided for you. And then the last couple of verses we look at. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God, who walk, who call, <clears throat> who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So now he's referred to himself as an infant. He's referred to himself as a nursing mother. And now he's referring to himself as the role of the father. There is no question that in the ancient world where Paul has written this letter, parents and especially fathers were authoritative and powerful figures. <laughs> that has absolutely changed in our society. Because we get Homer Simpson, we get 
Tim the Toolman Taylor. We get Al Bundy. We get Phil Dunphy. Dads that come across as pretty goofy. The whole view of dads has changed in our society. But what he's seeing right here, it's important for you to see Paul not misusing his authority as a father. Instead, Paul's sitting here saying the purpose of being a father is to show them how to live their lives that are worthy of God. <laughs> That's a big deal. What does it mean, walk worthy of God? As a father, the one thing I want to teach my kids, Corey and Chloe, is how to walk by the Spirit. Yeah, they, they're probably going to imitate me and their mother quite a bit as they grow up. But what if I'm modeling for them how to walk by the Spirit? What does it mean to walk by? As Keith was talking about it in his video this morning, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? The only thing that I can tell you this morning is this, is know him. Is know him so you know his voice. You can hear his voice and you can make the choice to follow it. That's it. Walking by the Spirit. You have to know him first. Then you're able to hear his voice. And then you choose to walk by the Spirit or to walk by your own selfish desires, which would be your flesh. I'm telling you, having my integrity with Corey and Chloe is more important than having it with you. That may sound bad, but they have to trust me. If I'm going to have an intimate conversations with my two kids, they have to trust me. I used to come at them with emotions. No question about it. It just turned them away. But now there's these clear structures put on authority. And the purpose of authoritative role that Paul has as a spiritual father. He wants to connect with them. He wants to be true to them. He wants to be an authority in their life. You know, uh, pastors don't wait to discover how the rest of the congregation feels about a particular issue before they venture on to their own opinion. I was talking to a friend this week about uh, leadership. How do you make leadership is not about wavering on a decision. It's making the decision. You may be wrong in the decision. You may be right in the decision, but the fact that you're going to lead and make decisions is the sign of leadership. That means this. That means that the church leaders don't quickly retract statements or change their opinion at the first sign that people don't like what they say. And that's one of the reasons I'm hesitant to speak out so often. If I'm going to speak out, I'm going to speak out about Jesus because it's the only thing that matters. And it's the only thing that's true. 
And if it's true, then I can live my life by it. I'm not afraid to run the risk of saying things that are biblical, that are relevant, and that are true. And maybe even potentially unpopular. This is what Paul's saying when he's talking about having an authoritative figure like a father in their lives. He's not going to back down. He's going to speak truth to them. He's going to do it in intimacy and love. And here, here's the great thing about this. He's now spoken that he's infant. He's innocent. He loves them like a nursing mom. He speaks to them with an authority and truth. You may sit there and go, well, that's good for Paul. That's good for you, Rusty, as a pastor of the church. Well, the truth of the matter is these same family metaphors are true and appropriate, not just for the leadership position, but for all the body of the church. That you can be innocent as you speak the truth, the gospel message. That you can intimately love your children and you can speak to them with authority. You see what Paul's doing here? He's connecting with the church in Thessalonica. He's like, I don't know what you've heard about me. You've heard a lot of bad stuff. But just let me remind you what you already know. I'm teaching Jesus in Jesus alone. And you can trust me with that. Father, I pray that... Um, with all that's going on in our world today. That just as Jeff prayed, that we can see that you are the light. You're the light of the world. And in that we're going to rest, in that we're going to trust. I pray for um, just the truth to be spoken in love. Decisions be made, leadership provided that we can be a light in this community. So Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's letter to the church, to the body. May you guide us and direct us this week. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I'm so happy that you chose to hang out with us this morning. It's good to see your list of names over here on the side. I just want to say uh, one thing. If you haven't already heard, we are going to go to camp this year. I know, I know, I know. This is part of the whole decision making. But we are planning on taking our students 6th through 12th grade to camp on June the 28th through July the 3rd. That gives us two weeks to get everything prepared and planned and on the road. So uh, we're doing it. We actually sent out an email late Wednesday night. And as of right now, we have about 45 people that are going with us. So in just four or five days, uh, we've had that many people sign up. Uh, and we're excited about that. So you can be praying for us. I don't think we'll have the opportunity um, 
to do prayer tents unless we figure out some way to email you or something like that. But typically we've given you a student to pray for that has gone to a student or a leader that's gone going to camp and we've asked you to pray for them this week. Maybe we can figure out how to do that digitally this year instead of handing out prayer tents to you. But uh, we'll figure all that out. We have two weeks to get everything ready. And uh, I'm not sure quite what that looks like, but uh, it's going to be a fun <coughs> fun week we're going up to camp zion in wisconsin again they're having us back up there so 